Welcome to the podcast, folks. Happy Wednesday. Hope everybody's having a great week. Happy Hump Day. Uh, we got a good one on tap for you today, but before we get there, let's get to today's episode sponsors, Jen Gilbert and the team for over 45 years since 1976, the dedicated realtors of Coldwell Banker, Cityside Realty, have served Leminster and the surrounding area, giving you star power that's providing their clients with seven-day-a-week access to, because they know big life decisions are not made during office hours. And did you know, when it comes to rental properties, they're the biggest licensed residential property management company in the city of Lloydminster. They deal with over 300 rental units. We're talking houses, apartments, and condos. That's Coldwell Banker, Cityside Realty, for everything real estate, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Give them a call, 780-875-3343. Mac Construction, they've been doing business locally for over 12 years with 100 homes completed. Of course, they're a design, build, custom home building operation. That is specialized in constructing homes, cottages, and RTMs throughout Lloydminster and communities since 08. In addition to custom homes, they also do extensive renovations to residences and like commercial work. If you're looking to build your dream house, head to macconstruction.ca and look no further. Jen Spenrath and the team over at Three Trees Tap and Kitchen. They've been open six plus years now. And uh, let me tell you, they're they're trying new different things out to uh, to get you in the building. They got uh, extensive renovations on the patio, and I'm going, as I say that, I go, nobody's using the patio right now. Who am I kidding? It's minus 30 outside. But when patio season comes around, let me tell you, the renovations they've done look spot on. If you're looking to uh, wet your whistle, I suggest uh, taking your growler down there. You can get uh, a couple, well, anything on tap, Ribstone Creek, Fourth Meridian. If you're a Guinness guy, I don't know why you are, but if you are, by all means, you can fill it up with that. And if you're going to take the missus out, or mister for that matter, make sure you're not like this guy. Uh, You call and book reservation, 780-874-7625. New Year's is just around the corner. And uh, let me tell you, they're going to put on a spread for you if you uh, go down on New Year's Eve. Just saying. Kiva Concrete, since 1979, uh, the year the old Edmonton Oilers came into be, uh, into the NHL. Kiva Concrete came into be. I don't know. You you tell me. What was more meaningful? I got my arguments. Regardless, they've been a family-owned and operated business for 42-plus years, and they uh, do all concrete services. And, I mean, just... <laughs> it, I, I really, I mean, it goes a long way. We're talking lake lots, chemical warehouse, farm shops, Southside Credit Union. That's some of the recent stuff they've done. So, I don't know, Spiro's patio. Like, they've done some pretty uh, pretty cool stuff. Uh, so, whether you're in commercial, agricultural, residential, and whether the project is a basement floor, driveway, sidewalks, patios, garage pads, shops, barns, and countertops, Essentially, if you can dream it, they can do it. Give Chris a call today, 780-875-7678. HSI Group, they're the local oil field burners and combustion experts that can help make sure you have a compliance system working for you. The team also offers security, surveillance, and automation products for residential, commercial, livestock, and agricultural applications. They use technology to give you peace of mind so you can focus on the things that truly matter. Stop in today, 3902 52nd Street, or give Brody or Kim a call, 306 825 10. If you're looking for any outdoor signage, Read and Write is the team. They always make SMP look sharp. Give them a call, 306-825-5111. And Gartner Management is a Lloydminster-based company specializing in all types of rental properties to help meet your needs. There's 1,800 square feet of uh, open space currently. So if you need just a single office or you got a team coming in and you need multiple, give way to call 780-808-5025. And if you're heading into any of these businesses, let them know you heard about them from the podcast, right? Now let's get on that T-Bar 1 tail of the tape. 
He's been an accountant for 50 years. He's also the founder of Lecky & Associates, an accounting firm which he started in 1985. He's the treasurer of the Royal Canadian Legion here in Lloydminster. He's a community pillar. Of course, I'm talking about Jim Lecky. So buckle up. Here we go. Okay. It is March 14th, 2021. Today, I'm joined in studio by Jim Lecky. So first off, thanks for hopping in with me. No problem. Now, the way we start these is uh, I want to hear, you know, kind of, you were born in 1939, so I kind of want to get a feel of uh, what Manitoba, Vernon, Vernon, Manitoba was like back in your earliest memory uh, memories, if uh, you can take us back there. Well, Vernon was a pretty small town. Um, uh, that was the larger of the communities that are west of Brandon in Manitoba, but uh, it was still pretty small. <laughs> I think the population was about 1,400 back in those days. And I guess what... Uh, what did your parents do? Like, what was what was what was life like? What were you what were you uh, what were your parents teaching? What were, what were they doing for work? I know you'd written in your questionnaire that your father was a banker until 1929. Maybe maybe we could t- discuss a little bit about those two. Well, my mother was a bookkeeper, and uh, and uh, she'd done bookkeeping all her life, and and she worked right up until retirement doing the books at a at a department store in Verdon. Um, and my dad uh, came over from Scotland and landed in, they homesteaded in Foxwarren, Manitoba. And uh, he already had his grade eight when they arrived. He was 14 years old and he couldn't go any further. But the schools only went that far back in in those days, and he uh, he was very good at mathematics. Uh, so the the bank hired him as a clerk when he was just a kid, and uh, when he was seventeen, the bank manager in Foxwarren had a stroke and died right in the office, apparently, and uh, uh, he had more experience at his age in that branch than anybody else that was there. And so he, he, they had him carry on, but everything that he did had to be notarized by the local law firm. So uh, he stayed on. This is with the Bank of Hamilton. And he uh, progressed with them and became the regional manager for Western Canada for the Bank of Hamilton in Regina in 1929 and you know what happened in 1929 the world turned upside down and the bank of hamilton went upside down with it and the uh, according to the bank act the bank act in canada the banks cannot go bankrupt they have to be a, a how would you say taken over by other banks and the bank of hamilton was taken over by the by the back then by what was known as the Bank of Commerce. And uh, and my dad was uh, let go because they already had a regional manager. And uh, 
and he just went out and and, and he collected got hired by the Oliver Plow Company to do collections in the 30s. Uh, and he met a lot of nice people. He didn't collect very much money, but he met a lot of nice people. And uh, he actually stayed on and helped them at the farm because there was, you know, they were feeding him and, and so forth. So he stayed on with them. And, uh, and then my mother had family in Verdon. And, uh, of course, when depressions and recessions hit, the, the families draw together. And my grandfather had uh, an abundance of land. And uh, so they came to Verdon, and uh, we all became farmers, I guess, for a little while. I hated the place, but it was... <laughs> but, it was a, but we had... You know, we back in those days, uh, it was it wasn't a matter of making money; it was surviving. It was being self-sufficient. So we had chickens and pigs and turkeys and all manner of 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 uh, things. And and we didn't have they didn't have a tractor back then. Everything was done with horses and uh, and uh, these huge big horses and. Uh, so that's what I remember about that. <laughs> but my dad was was very uh, insistent that we get a proper education, the whole family. And he insisted that we go to town school. And we lived about four and a half miles out of town. So my mother and us kids moved into a aunt's place in town and went to school uh, my dad had the theory that the rural school teachers just out of normal school were just out looking for rich farmers to marry so they'd be set up for their lives. But <laughs> but the teachers in town were professional teachers, you know, they were. Uh, and it's likely a good thing that happened because uh, uh, we all got, all of my siblings all got education, educated, and every one of them has initials behind their name of one kind or another. And uh, so we were very fortunate in that way. But it, back in those days, uh, you know, you, you couldn't just drive back and forth to town. Uh, they, they had a car. My grandfather had a car, but there was no roads, you know, back in those days in the and it used to snow. So what did he do with the car then? It just sat there. And he, he drove horses into town with the. So why did he have? The, but why would he have the? Why would he have the car? For in the summertime, the roads were good in the summertime. But in the winter, the, the they never plowed roads or anything. They, the uh, the grid roads were there, but they weren't maintained. Municipalities didn't have any money. This was in right after the depression, you know, and. And uh, there wasn't money for very much. I want to ask, I want to go back. You said when a bank, this is going back to your father working for the yeah. Bank of Hamilton, when a bank goes bankrupt, they have to be bought out by another bank? Is that what you said? That, that, that's, that's the British law that, that is carried on in Canada, that the, 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 banks, the banks have to have, they post a, 
a reserve against the people that deposit with them. And if, if they can't meet the requirements for this reserve, the central bank forces them to merge with, a, with another bank. That's, that's still the law in Canada. It hasn't changed. So what do you think of what's going on currently with all the, the government spending and everything else and money coming out like crazy? And Well, you don't really want me to say, I don't think. <laughs> so, I, I'm, I'm curious. You're curious? Well, I, I think that uh, uh, the media has a great input in the way things go today. And I think that with this pandemic, that the seriousness of it has likely been overplayed uh, substantially. And the government has jumped in. Uh, you have to realize that our current federal government uh, not interested in, in balancing the budget whatsoever they're interested in getting reelected so um, they just somebody else is going to have to pay I mean it's been going on in the United States for for you know decades the same philosophy the deficits piled on deficits on deficits and uh, and uh, something's going to happen someday but at, uh, at, at right now um, you know, the, the government has all these programs out there, and some of them are good, and some of them are bad, and some of them are being taken advantage of, and uh, and the government itself, the control over the things, uh, has lost. You know, uh, people that work for the government are working for home. They have no supervision. They have no know anything you know they they're operating from home and a lot of them haven't got a great command of the English language and and uh, and uh, it's very frustrating to deal with the Canadian government at this point in time hmm. and uh, with a guy who's got a background in you know accounting yeah. quite an extensive one at that um, just yeah like I, I'm, I'm curious that when you say I don't know if you want to get me going down that rabbit hole. I go, well, I don't know. You got 50 years in it. So I guess that'd be as good a person to ask as anyone because I'm just staring at it and go, I, I don't know. I don't I don't understand the money side, like like uh, having a background in your knowledge base. Well, the, <laughs> the thing um, is a, I, I have a theory uh, about governments getting elected in that they – they hide behind the the green cape to say you know that that uh, that we're polluting the planet and everything else and uh, and then uh, we should elect a government that's responsible, but they might be responsible for keeping smoke out of the air, but they're not responsible fiscally, you know, and that's what's important. I mean. Uh, all the smoke that we put up in Western Canada is all gone by the time it reaches the Great Lakes, you know. Uh, so it's not a viable argument, but they sure have a lot of people convinced that, uh, that uh, you know, we, 
we got to be careful with uh, with what we're doing out here, in uh, especially with fossil fuels. They they want to decimate the fossil fuel business uh, industry, um, but in reality, the the products that come out of those oil wells aren't all burned in cars and airplanes and everything like that. Uh, virtually everything that you touch and see, and and uh, you know from Toothpaste, uh, I, don't, I don't know where, is, is a byproduct of the petrochemical industry. So uh, these people aren't realistic. You know, they, they haven't done their homework on what is going on in the world. They certainly know how to change people's minds, though, and influence people because, I mean, if, if there's been anything uh, that has very noticed is that it's gotten into every household that debate and it is a split debate it's not like everyone's gone these guys are idiots i mean there's a lot more in western canada saying no, that no, for sure i i'll tell you that they bring this little girl over from scandahuvia or scandinavia and and i don't know whether she's all there or whether she's not but she puts on a good show. Her parents are very rich, and she comes over here on a, on a ship that doesn't burn any fuel and everything else. It gets big crowds to follow her. And, and the young people catch on with something like that. They don't forget the fact that their parents are earning money working in the oil patch, you know. But this is a, a dirty old job, you know. we got to eliminate it. <laughs> it's... Um, and it's not that way. I think the oil industry it has to be cleaned up, but certainly it has to it has to continue to exist. Well, the lady you're ta- the the lady you're talking about is is Greta Thunberg. That That's she's the young one, and I want to say she has. I'm trying to see what it is right now. She autistic. I want to say. I want to. Here she goes. She was diagnosed with Asperger syndrome, obsessive compulsive disorder, and something else. It says selective mutism, whatever that is. But yeah, she does have a couple of a couple of things. But regardless, case to your point is she came over and rallied. The, the youth and the, the yeah. we got to get back to the planet, which there's there's a few things there for sure. But overall, we just she was a very easy person for a lot of people to rally behind. And that is what has happened. And there hasn't been an answer to it because how do you, how do you, well, you can't attack a young girl. That, that basically no. gets you. Uh, nowhere. <laughs> nowhere, that's nowhere. right. Nowhere. But the, the, the thing about it is they, the the political people ride the coattails into power, uh, and uh, you know uh, there's a lot of people that should be running for government that don't run for government. I, I don't think we have responsible people that seek election. Um, 
Why do you think that is? I've I've mulled that question in my head for probably five years now. I don't think anybody that thinks that there's any good to come out of it because politicians are are you know run down and and it's easy to do and uh, and uh, there's nobody out there that that uh, you know you look back in World War Two when they had all these these a dollar a year men working for the for the Canadian government during the war years. These people were dedicated and to, to the to the cause and and uh, you know they did a very good job. Right now, I I, I think we have some uncaring people leading our government. This is exactly how I feel. Hmm. Well, let's go back to you. I've taken you down a little bit of a rabbit hole. Okay. Well, let's go back to Verdon. Um, what eventually leads you to Lloyd Minster? What, like, what eventually brings you this way? Well, I, uh, after high school, I, uh, because of the fact that my family didn't have a bunch of money to send me to university, I, uh, I ended up going into the accounting profession, which back in those days uh, was basically uh, five years of practical experience under the guiding care of a qualified CA. And I was very fortunate to uh, to work for some very good CAs, and uh, and I learned a lot over the years, and. Uh, and I, uh, when I graduated in 1962, I believe, I was very young. Uh, you know, I was I went through the the course okay. I I flunked economics, but it's <laughs> the first time. But I think there's still a lot of people that flunk economics today that are econo economists, but they're still flunking. But anyway, they. Uh, I went back home to Verdon because I I thought that that I could get ahead in my own hometown better than staying in the city. And I went back there and uh, and I finished my articling with a with a firm out of Winnipeg that had an office in Verdon. And I was kind of the the second in command in this little office, and uh, and had a lot of responsibility and so forth. They didn't pay me very much. I, I you know, when you come out of high school, they charge you make eighty five dollars a month to be a student accountant back in those days, back in nineteen fifty seven. And the outfit I worked for in Winnipeg offered me $90 a month if I would go to Brandon and work for their office in Brandon. So a $5 raise, I'd, and it's closer to home. So I, I went. <laughs> but, but anyway, I graduated, and uh, I, a bunch of local guys had a, a livestock auction mart, Verdon Auction Mart Limited. 
and uh, they hired me to run it because they had trouble with the uh, auctioneers aren't very good bookkeepers. <laughs> so, so they can sell cattle, but as soon as the sale's over, you know, they're done. So anyway, it was it was a great experience, to, and I did that for a year, but it it got very boring, you know. Did the same thing week in week out, week in week out, and uh, and it became very boring. So then I I went out on my own as a as a sole practitioner in Verdon, and that. Uh, that was very difficult because, you know, I was young, very, very young, and uh, I was more interested in playing hockey and curling than I really was in accounting. <laughs> but, uh, and playing, and I used to umpire baseball to make ends meet, and I, I ended up refereeing hockey. I made more money refereeing hockey by far than I ever made uh, as a student in accounts. I mean, I used to, like, when playoff came in February, I was on the road every day just about going somewhere to referee a hockey game in, in <laughs> at some level or other. And some of the rinks in rural Manitoba lead a lot to be desired, desired. like a lot of them had had curling rinks beside them, and they, they'd have a blind side. So if you happen to be skating down the blind side and, and there's a bunch of guys coming at you, there wasn't much you could do except try to climb the wall, and, uh, and it was pretty difficult. <laughs> you, you, you'd, you'd know what I'm talking about. But anyway, uh, 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 accounting kind of turned around. And uh, and I didn't have to referee anymore. And uh, what made it? What made the accounting turn around? Well, because I worked hard, and, uh, and so you just slowly gained clients, is what you mean? Uh, I slowly gained clients. Yeah. 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 And uh, and you know, how could an accountant not be successful? A death and taxes are the the two only two things that are for sure in this world. <laughs> <laughs> Do you believe that death and taxes? Well, yeah, pretty much. We're all. I I've been paying taxes all my life, and uh, likely so have you. And and uh, uh, we have to do that for the people that don't. I guess I don't know. <laughs> Don't get me going down that rabbit hole either. But anyway, did you did you always want to be like was it when you were in school and you were playing your hockey and your curling, your umpiring, everything? Were you always like I'm going to go to school and I'm going to become an accountant? Like is that what you wanted to do? No, I had a guy, a fellow that lived across the street from my parents, who was a geologist, and uh, I always thought he. You know, I kind of admired him. He he made good money and was always riding around in this in this truck and and uh, and was busy and and, the, and they had enough money back in the days when it was forty below. They left the truck running all night and you know and things like things of that nature. But then uh, then I I got some friends 
who worked in the oil patch uh, and to tell me how dirty and cold and and so forth it was and that if you had the brains <laughs> not to do that that you shouldn't so uh, uh, I had a job in the summertime uh, at a bulk fuel distributor Anglo-Canadian oils and I did the bookkeeping there uh, all the invoicing and, and everything and they had three or four trucks out delivering fuel and so forth and 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 they had a, a retail set of retail pumps on the front end and so forth so there was a bit of a bit of accounting to do there and it, it had to be done it was a company run operation and it had to be done up to their standards and uh, and there was an old guy who was a, an auditor for them that came out and he showed me a lot of things you know what here's the right ways you should do it and so forth and uh, so I was kind of impressed with that yeah I want to go back. I don't know why my brain didn't think of this when it first got said, but it just percolated up the top. Welcome to me on a Sunday, Jim. Okay. <laughs> your your father was a banker up until 1929. Then, obviously, everything that happened, and we talked about that. But they really impressed upon you guys to get your schooling. Did you ever ask your dad uh, or parents why they wanted you to push so hard to um, have the letters at the end of your name, like he kind of joked? Uh, well, my my dad had worked in the bank, and he knew that you had to be smart to get ahead. And, uh, and he pushed all of us. If we weren't first in our class or very close to it, back in those days, on your report card, they'd, they'd say whether you were first, second, third, or fourth. You know, it, was, it wasn't like it is today where they kind of say, well, okay, you've been here long enough, you can go on to the next grade. But anyway, the, my sisters and I all had to be first in the class. Every one of my sisters won the Governor General's Medal of the Verdon Collegiate Institute when they went through. And uh, one of the teachers there said, you know, you're nothing like your sisters. And I said, well, I think maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> But I, they weren't playing hockey and they weren't curling and they weren't having any fun. And I was, you know. I mean, I, I was doing all these things that boys do that girls don't back then. And, uh, I mean, girls just went to school and helped out at home, you know. Uh, they they didn't have much of a social life at all uh, back in those days. Uh, you're you're talking like sports and like clubs and groups to get together yeah. is what you mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean they they didn't have they didn't have the opportunities that the boys had for sure, you know. And uh, I know my sisters. Two of my sisters curled uh, in high school curling, but that was just during the winter, you know. And uh, and the curling season was pretty short because they. The Verdon's pretty far south, and the ice doesn't last too long. <laughs> you know, it was from from you know 
middle of November till the end of February was curling. And uh, other than that, there was no artificial ice until, you know, until in the late 50s. What brings you, you know, you, we, we outline a bunch of different things on, on how you got into accounting and, and that type of thing. What brings you to Lloyd Minster? Why do you go, I'm heading, I'm, head, I'm heading west, and I'm going to Lloyd of all places? Well, two or three things is I, uh, the Leckie family controlled, uh, I, I, you're too young to remember Robinson Stores, do you remember? No. Can't say I do. No, there used to be one here in town. I had the privilege of shutting it down when I was at Robinson Little. But anyway, they had 185 retail stores in Western Canada. And these were ma and pa stores. And Robinson Little was the wholesale distributor in Winnipeg. And my aunt, uh, when my uncle died, my aunt, rather than selling the thing, decided she wanted to manage it. And she hired my cousin to be uh, in charge of merchandising because he was already working there and they needed a bookkeeper type so I went to, to become controller and treasurer of Robinson Little and I went there in 1973 and sold my little accounting practice in Verdant and, and went to the the bright lights and and, uh, and uh, we did a lot to change things around but what was happening in Western Canada was that the small towns were disappearing, you know. Farmers were getting bigger. And, and uh, when I went first went to Robinson Little, the guy who was in charge of development said to me, you know, in order to support a Robinson store, they got to have at least three elevators in the town. <laughs> because elevators were a sign that... Yeah. Yeah. But all that changed. All that changed. I mean, there's no, no, no little elevators anymore. There's great, huge uh, catching places for farm produce. And and farmers used to have a half section of land or a section if they were rich. Or, and nowadays, you know, and it was working its way towards that in the 70s. And a lot of these little towns... Uh, the, the, the Robinson stores just couldn't hack it. They, we sold uh, dry goods, uh, ready to wear, and and um, basics like sheets and pillowcases and and rubber boots and <laughs> you know uh, supplies for agricultural towns. And uh, it became it was a downhill slide. It, it really was. But at the same time. We were opening stores in growth centers like like uh, Yorkton and uh, Brandon and uh, uh, Moose Jaw and uh, places that were growing. And, and our sales went up, uh, a lot of it due to inflation more than quantity of goods being sold because in the 70s, in the 70s, inflation was rampant. Uh, and Mr. Trudeau Sr. brought in the Anti-Inflation Act. I don't 
you wouldn't remember that, but <laughs> but I remember it very clearly because we had to prove that we weren't jumping prices, you know. And at the same time, the banks were raising interest rates to try and curb people from spending. But that was the start of what's still going on now. People are going to spend. They want this. They want that. They want the other thing. And they're going to spend the money to do it, whether they have to borrow it or whether they have to earn it. They're going to get what they want. And uh, as a result, uh, Robinson Little... Uh, that in in 1979, my aunt and I got into a a, a no holds um, argument over the direction the company was going, and I I knew if we kept expanding, that, that with the interest rates the way they were, that it wasn't going to work. And she was bound and determined. So anyway, I got fired in in November, in October. I knew it was coming, <laughs> but I I got exited in in October of 1979. So I gotta stop you there for a second, because I don't know if my ears are working today or what's going on. But did I did did I just clue in the fact that the Leckies owned a department store that was Canada wide? No. No, we had 185 retail stores west of the Lakehead. Okay. so you, But still, that is a big chain. Oh, it was a big chain. And there was lots of fires, and that was my job, was going <laughs> traveling around the country. I rode in more little bumpy aircraft than I ever knew existed. So then, I guess, when you became an accountant, why... Didn't you go there first, or so, did you go? Did you start working for them first? For Robinson Little? Yeah. No, 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 no. I, my uncle was still alive, eh? Yeah. And he was very much in command, and he he had a guy there that had been the accountant for years. But when he after he died, the accountant didn't want anything to do with my aunt because she was a school teacher; she wasn't a business person, and. And uh, it wasn't long before they tangled, and he was gone, and and she, uh, the the firm, the law firm, approached me about coming in as the controller and treasurer. I knew nothing about the dry goods business whatsoever, but I learned in a heck of a hurry. But uh, but so then, so then you get hired. You're working for. You're working for the uh, for them, and you get in an argument with your aunt, who's the manager, general manager, general manager of all these department stores. Yeah, well, I I felt responsible f- for the financing of the of the firm, of the direction it was going, and I knew I had to take a stand. The chairman of the board knew I had to take a stand, uh, but he said. <laughs> He said that she was absolutely uncontrollable, and he was right. What did you get in the argument about? About growing, building new stores, equipping them, and everything else when we didn't have any capital. We were doing all this out of 
out of working capital. And I had to explain to her what working capital was. She's a school teacher. She didn't know what working capital was. And here she was, uh, the president of this firm that was doing $50 million a year. And she had no idea of what working capital was. And I had to show her how it was determined. Our banks knew, and they were, they were after me about the, the, <laughs> the erosion of the working capital in the company. But nobody, even the bankers didn't stand up to her. But I did, it didn't do me any good. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but I knew I was doing the right thing. Uh, I had to be honest with myself. I mean, I, I couldn't become part of the downhill slide. It just didn't make any sense because the place was gonna go bust and somebody would say, well, what the hell's wrong with you, Lecky? You, you know better, you know? So. So then you get canned. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean. Well, uh, so I'm, I'm missing something here. I, I feel like I'm. I'm, I'm no, but I, I wasn't worried about being canned because uh, I'm a professional accountant. I could go and get a yeah, job anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere. I didn't have anywhere to go. At the, at the time, at, at that particular time, but I uh, uh, I knew that that somewhere out there there was home for me, and I and I enjoyed public practice, uh, and I didn't like the idea of, of being responsible to somebody that was irresponsible. You know, it's it's not that easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the values got to line up, yeah, right? That's right. That's yeah. that's how you follow someone, and yeah. it's what a lot of us struggle out west right now with our uh, fearless leader is that he doesn't share our values, and that's that's tough. No, well, well, don't get me going on him either. <laughs> <laughs> what what can I get you going on, Jim? Today? Well, don't get me going on him because he, how would you say he's dishonest? He's He's uneducated. He is. Uh, I don't think he's got any soul. You know, he just. Uh, it, it doesn't even bother him to bald faced lie, you know. I saw a cute commercial the other, uh, the other day about him on the TV saying, don't worry. I've got a supply of vaccine that's, you know, coming. And then the next little thing is he's writing, Dear Santa, you know. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I thought it was a good cartoon. You you uh, catch me as a guy that has paid attention to politics throughout his life. Here's one that I certainly do not remember. I wasn't born yet. But uh, Trudeau Sr., given the finger... Uh, on the the rail car going through British Columbia. Do you know that story? I know that story very well. I'll tell you. I was a young liberal delegate from Brandon Suris that went to the 1968 leadership convention in Ottawa that elected Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Not on my vote, but there was others there. I I was a young liberal because I had... the greatest respect for Lester Pearson because Lester Pearson was 
could accomplish things with a minority government that people couldn't do with a majority government. You know, he he got us our flag. He got put in the Canada Pension Plan. He got us got us into health care. You know, it was it wasn't Tommy Douglas. Tommy Douglas did it in Saskatchewan, but Lester Pearson did it for the whole country. You know, so uh, they call. Tommy Douglas, the father of Medicare, well, he was. He pioneered it in Saskatchewan, but but it came into into being under the guidance of Lester Pearson and the and the Liberals back in those days. And there was some good. He had some good cabinet ministers back in those days that that were honest, hardworking people, and uh, and so yeah, I was. Uh, I was the vice president of the Brandon Suris Liberal Association. And I remember in 1968, we lost Brandon Suris to Walter Dinsdale, who had been the setting member under Diefenbaker for years and years. We lost by 71 votes. And all you have to do is turn 32 people around or 36 people around and you win, eh? But by the time 1972 came around, we couldn't get anybody to run in Brandon's for us because Trudeau had poisoned everybody so badly, everybody in Western Canada, that we couldn't find anybody to run. And, and we had an emergency meeting. Uh, the, the senator in charge of Manitoba, what was his name? Anyway, he phoned us up and said, you guys, Got to have a got to have a candidate by tomorrow. So you know what we did? We flipped coins, and the loser was going to have to run. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> That's how bad it was. And Ernie Ellis lost, and he says, "Well, I'm not running." So he went over to the to the Brandon University and picked out a law student by the name of Gary Balecki, and he ran. And, of course, he didn't, <laughs> didn't do very well, but he ended up being a judge because he did it, and he's still a judge. You know, that's how politics work. You get your, re you get your reward before you get to heaven. But anyway... <laughs> But anyway, I, I recall that, and and you know, after 1968, I wasn't a, a follower of the of the Liberal Party at all. I because of because of voting in because they voted in Justin Trudeau, uh, Justin Tr Pierre Trudeau. Well, I I didn't know what he was going to be like, but he was a justice minister, and he. He didn't care about money at all. He he wanted to have the Canadian Bill of Rights. He wanted to get the Constitution patriated in Canada. You remember the Queen came over and and we became our own guiding light. And uh, that's what he was interested in. And he didn't care. The budget never bounced. And then, of course, everybody was upset about that. So then... They elected Mulroney, who was even worse. He didn't care about money at all. You know, I I gotta. I was born in '86, so I feel like you're talking over my head on so many things. So I'm just gonna 
I'll just ask some dumb questions and, and we'll see how it goes. Okay. The liberals to me right now are for the last whatever, always felt like they didn't care about balancing the budget. And what I hear out of you is at one point in time, they certainly did. Is, th- is that oh, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. The liberals, the liberals during, subsequent to the Depression and World War II were very conscientious about the budget. Jim, can I get you a little closer to that mic? Oh, okay. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, they were very conscientious about balancing the budget. And uh, and then things kind of, you know, they, Lester Pearson and John Diefenbaker didn't get along all that well. And then John Diefenbaker got elected with a majority government, and everybody out here loved him. And, uh, but he he wasn't a good financial person whatsoever. Uh, but Lester Pearson was, and uh, subsequent to, to Lester Pearson, we got Trudeau, and then we got Mulroney, and Mulroney, back in 1991, introduced the, the GST, the Goods and Services Tax, and I remember when Ed came in because we had to train all our clients, eh, on how this was going to work. And, uh, and of course, the, the next election, they only got three, only elected three members. And, uh, and uh, what's his name from Quebec? Uh, he was prime minister, and he, Chrétien, Chrétien, and, and he, he was, he had some great ideas. Chrétien did. He he had been minister of Indian affairs, Indian and Northern affairs, for all the years that Lester Pearson was prime minister. Chrétien had been the minister. Okay, and and he advocated. That when the first year in 1968, as soon as the election was over, he brought in the white paper on Indian affairs, which which abolished the Indian Act, put a moratorium on Indian land claims, and was going to turn all the Indian reserves into municipal governments. And then they were going to spend a bunch of money on infrastructure and education to alleviate the the native problem that was there then and remains today uh, to try and bring them into Canadian society on an equal basis with the rest of us. And, uh, and it passed first and second reading in the House, but Trudeau never brought it in for a third reading because the the Department of Indian Affairs was violently opposed to it. And he also had, there was opposition from the natives themselves on this. And uh, so it never, it never got off the ground. It got first and second reading, but it, 
it was never ever approved and so it's dead in the water but I thought that was a very ambitious thing and I thought it would eventually uh, be good but and I and I I liked Cray Chen because he was very forthright. You ask him a question, he'd give you an answer. Bang. Be whether you liked it or whether you didn't, you know. But he you know and he he was a tough little guy. He'd you know, the, somebody tackled him at a at a public rally or something, he'd proceed to kick him around a bit and uh <laughs> he had a bit of a reputation that way. Nobody, nobody bothered him. But uh, subsequent to, to Cray Chen, uh, there's been a power, a power struggle, and and it's it really bothers me because it's so corrupt. In that, uh, I'm trying to think of the the people that own the, the shipping company. He was prime minister. His dad was was uh, under was minister of transportation under Lester Pearson. Oh, and then he became prime minister after after Cray Chen. Oh, what's his name? Um, You're doing uh, the the prime minister history on me, and I'm. I'm obviously poor at this. Well, anyway, here's the thing that bothers me: is the only reason that they use foreign oil in Eastern Canada is because of who's Paul, Paul Martin. Paul Martin, and his dad's name was Paul Martin too, and they have this this steamship this. Now, 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 I want you to finish. I want you to finish your thought. Why do we use foreign oil? Finish that thought. Because we have interests in Saudi Arabia. Arabia, we have people on our cabinet have substantial interests in Saudi Arabia, and this Martin outfit that hauls oil to Canada have been doing it for you know decades. Uh, if they stopped doing it, what would? What would all these steamships be doing? But anyway, uh, that's how corrupt it is in my mind. Follow the money is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, a thing that's come out since Trudeau getting elected again has been uh, talk of separation or of Western sovereignty, uh, do you, you know, as a guy who's followed politics then, do you see anything like that coming uh, about? Would that be a smart move in your mind? Or would that be a terrible move in your mind? It's pretty difficult to pull off when you're landlocked, you know. Um, if, 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 if B.C., like, I, I think that from the lakehead to the mountains should be one province. They did everything wrong when they when they put Canada together. But they, at the time, they said, well, fine, we won't, we'll make these little provinces so that way they, we can control them. Eh? But if that was all one province from the lakehead to the mountains, my good heavens, it's a pile of people, a pile of industry, a pile of, 
you know, uh, they, that would be hard for Ottawa to control. Here's a question for you. Do you think that's exactly why they did that way? Do you think they had the oh, thought of uh, like, if we make it so they have small provinces, not one, now we can control them for the rest of the time? Like, do you think like... I think that, that, that they were smart enough to do that back then, yeah. The, the, the provinces came into confederation following the CPR railroad, right? Yeah. Manitoba... Saskatchewan and, and Alberta came in, and and BC wasn't going to come in and, unless until this, the railroad was built. And it, it was built, but Alberta and Saskatchewan came in uh, in 1905, eh? and Manitoba came in in 1871, and uh, uh, and BC, I think they were in before Alberta and Saskatchewan, but. I think to this day that would BC has other interests. You know, they have the fishery and they have the tourism and they have a, a lot of stuff that we don't have in the Prairie Provinces. But I think it would have been politically to our advantage if from the lakehead to the mountains was all one province. Well, that's what a lot of people want. Well, you know, the thing is that that we were in Western Canada was in confederations when the conservatives were in power the last time around. That I mean, they were recognized. That's where the prime minister came from, and, and uh, a lot of cabinet met, strong cabinet ministers and so forth, and, and we were recognized. And the same when Mulroney was in, there was uh, Don Mazankowski from here. He was a, a powerhouse in the in the government, and so we were in. We're not in now. I mean, we're we're just uh, whatever they can do to to keep peace out here or or whatever. But this is where my my brain hurts, though. Why? Why, oh why, would would you worry, why wouldn't you empower this area to keep doing what it's doing? It, is it not uh, supporting a huge chunk of the of the country with its industry and technology and and the energy industry in general, all the, all well, the people? It, it and, the, the thing that really gets me it, is Quebec is about the only province that has a balanced budget. And it's balanced because of the equalization payments that come from Alberta. And that then we have the Premier of Quebec going off to, to Sweden and saying that they're going to put the end to the fossil fuel business. I mean, he, he might as well, you know, <laughs> shoot himself. It, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. But there has to be some, you know, some point in time where level heads make you know sense like the, the, the saying that we can run the country on wind energy you know what if the wind doesn't blow or, or all, all this solar stuff it wears out what are we going to do with all those solar things when they become obsolete what are we going to do with them you know 
And here we are out here with all kinds of hydrocarbons under the ground that can produce energy so efficiently, so efficiently. And here, here we are piddling around trying to get power from wind generation and power from the sun and uh, because it's a clean power, but really it's not. Do you, and, and storing power in batteries, how efficient is that? Do you, know, do you know what they have to do to make batteries? How much ground they gotta dig up to get all this, these minerals that go into these batteries? I mean, and, and most of that stuff comes from another country, other countries, and child labor and everything that's involved in it. Why, why are we, shutting down the petrochemical business, the, pet, the fossil fuel business, when, when we can get all the energy we want and need from it. It just doesn't make any sense. Well, I will agree with you. I, um, there's a lot there in what you just said, right? And to ber- try and break it down to uh, why this, that, the other thing... Um, I don't know. I don't have the answers to it. Uh, um, as far as the the, pol- the political side, just getting some perspective on the different leaders and how they came in and what they did, um, but, but is, is interesting. But but this green movement is just a front for socialism. You know, it is. So you're going to take me. You know, we've gone down some interesting rabbit holes here. This is supposed to be about your life, uh, Jim. We're supposed <laughs> to be talking about. Lecky and Associates. Uh, but in saying that, I have had um, several different people on the podcast talk about how we're heading towards socialism or communism or both or whatever you want. And um, I, it behooves us all to start standing up to slow yeah. that down or to turn the ship around. I, I have no problem with being in the middle of the road because I, I realize that there are people who who don't have opportunity who who you know who are not prosperous who who don't have the ways and the means to the ways and the means to uh, generate income for themselves and I I think that that society has to kind of accept that uh, but on the other hand. It's going so bad. It's it's not controlled. It's uh, it's uh, there is no uh, in no incentives for people with ideas and uh, industry uh, to have opportunities to get ahead because of the money is being spent to to produce votes rather than to produce employment, rather than to produce, uh, you know, it's just doesn't make any sense. Well, let's go to something that does make some sense here. You moved to Lloyd in 1979. You start up Lecky and Associates in 1985. Yeah. Why? No, not why. 85, that is, what are, what are we looking at? 15, 36 years? 79 to 85 is six years, yeah? No, but then, but then you've been, uh, you've had Lecky and Associates. You started a company, 
and have ran it for 30-plus years. Uh, James H. Leckie Professional Corporation uh, has been in business a long time, but Leckie and Associates only started in about 88, 87, 88. Okay, so right in there. Yeah. You... you uh, it said that's you know like of your life that's your biggest achievement it was is is your business yeah yeah i i'm really proud of, of the firm that, that was built we started from next to nothing and and uh what is next to nothing well george madison <laughs> rented me the back of the the back of the paint store downtown um, and there had been a, there had been a, a murder in there. Uh, George and I picked the shotgun pellets out of the wall so we could finish the wall. Uh, <laughs> and so that fit that. I can show my surprise. Holy Dinah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so I started up in there and, uh, did you have clients in there? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. They gradually came. They gradually came, and uh, did you ever bring up in conversation? Uh, by the way, uh, there's used to be bullet holes in the wall. Oh, we used to kind of giggle about it. So the odd part, the odd client. I mean, people in Lloyd Minister have an exceptional sense of humor. I mean, what would shock most people is entertainment to people here. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a great community that way. I mean, it's a, they enjoy uh, things that are maybe not accepted in other societies. So the back of back of a paint shop. Yeah, that's yeah. that's where it starts. That's where it starts. It used to be Jim McRae's old office. Jim Jim was a a lawyer here for years. And uh, and uh, then it became a, a law office for another firm, and that's that's where this unfortunate situation happened. And uh, and then it was empty for a while, and and when I needed a place to rent, George, well, he actually suggested it, and uh, he was a great he was a great promoter of. Of me, he he liked me, and I liked him. I had a lot of respect for George, and uh, and uh, yeah, he he uh, helped me quite a bit to get going. Well, you you mentioned that he was most influential person in your life. What was it that that uh, George did through your ears that helped? I don't know, guide or. Well, I, I didn't know anybody in Lloyd Minister when I came up here. And Madison's Groceria was on the way home, and I used to stop in there and pick up groceries. And, uh, yeah, he, we had a great work power. He, he has a great sense of humor, George, and, and he'd, uh, we'd regale each other with stories and... Uh, and uh, yeah, he was a great guy. And he took a great interest in me. He wanted me to succeed, and uh, mainly because 
I was renting from him, I think. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, I, I wasn't there very long, and I, I outgrew the place, you know, in a couple of years. What, uh, in 79 to 85, how big was Lloyd? Lloyd would have been a pretty small place, 3,000 people, something like that? No, no, I think it was seven or something, 7,000. 7,000? Something, something like that. But but the thing is, have you ever heard of the National Energy Program? Uh, a little bit. Yeah, well, the liberals brought it in, and it destroyed the Lloyd Minister Oil Patch, is what it did. It's uh, like the premier of of uh, Alberta told the people in the east that they could maybe freeze in the dark or something like along those lines, and Joe didn't like it, and then he set up this national energy program where they controlled the price of oil, and uh, and that that just shut this town down. That was before the upgrader. That was before the upgrader, and uh, it just, it was just, you could shoot a cannon off down, down 50th Avenue and never hurt a soul, you know, it was that bad. That was in the 80s? In the 80s, yeah, yeah. Well, you're the first one who's brought it up. Uh, I've brought up the 80s uh, plenty with different people because of how bad it got here. Well, yeah, there was two or three things went wrong in the eighties. The the the, the uh, price of borrowing money, the interest. I never when I worked at Robinson Little, I had an appointment one day with the regional manager of the Royal Bank for Western Canada and an economist from Toronto. And. Um, he was saying, he was telling me that the interest rates were going to continue to rise. He said, I can see no end to it. And I said, oh my goodness. He said, yeah, but he said, a lot of the time I'm wrong. <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny. But but he was dead on there because interest rates uh, just became ridiculous. Just became ridiculous. Do you think that's going to happen again? They're ridiculous the other way right now. There's yeah. no incentive for people to to save. But when I was a student in accounts, we used to do municipal audits in Manitoba, and the government of Canada in the depression put out what they called um, uh, bonds, three percent bonds. That, that with no due date, they were called permanent bonds or, but anyway, all the municipalities had, had it. They were called perpetual bonds is what they were. And they had interest at 3%. And, uh, and back in the, in the day, the banks... When I first went into business, the, the highest rate of money that the that the banks could charge was six percent, and that everything was fixed at six percent. You go to the bank and borrow money; it was a six percent. 
the answer was either yes or no, but the interest rate was 6%, non-negotiable. And then Pierre Elliott Trudeau got elected, and he fixed that. He took the ceiling, took the ceiling off the interest rates that the banks could charge. And uh, why did he do that? Because he thought that the, <laughs> it would the same old thing that people could borrow money for everything they wanted, and uh, and the banks wouldn't say no, but they'd just have to pay more for it. Uh, I don't know why he did it. Uh, uh, there must have been a reason, surely, that he did it. But in retrospect, uh, everything was pretty simple back in the days where the interest rate was 6% and the banks just said yes or no. But then, they, of course, people that couldn't borrow from the banks went to finance companies and uh, private loan companies that charged, you know, 8 9 10%. But uh, but the chartered banks could only charge six. But it opened the door for all, all kinds of good and bad things. When you said you go back to uh, being at the, the Liberal Party and seeing uh, Trudeau get elected, yeah. what were your thoughts of him when he, when he gave his speech? I, I assume he got up and spoke. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, that 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 uh, uh, that leadership convention. He had a whale of a pile of support, like people, like whoever was organizing for him did a whale of a job because it it it, it reminded me of of Germany during the thirties when what's his name. Was run, when was Hitler on. was running, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it it, 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 like you're talking like absolute belief in something. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I, but I mean, he wasn't in there long before. I mean, they figured him out. I mean, they, he uh, he had some some great cabinet ministers like Mitchell Sharp and uh, and. John Turner and uh, he, he had some guys that knew their way around, but but the, the agricultural minister he could they'd never vote for him out here. And as agricultural minister, I never used to come from Arnprior, Ontario. This guy by the name of Joe Green, and he was a nice guy, but he knew nothing about agriculture. And, and of course, he was he was the minister of agriculture when Lester Pearson was in, because I never forget we had a meeting with Joe Green when I was a young liberal candidate, and he met with all of, all the all the delegates from Brandon Suris constituency, and he asked me how big a farm I had, and I said I'm not a farmer, I'm a chartered accountant. He says, well, if you come from Brandon Suris and you're in Ottawa, you're a farmer. I don't give a shit what you do at home. <laughs> That's what his thinking. <laughs> Take me back to this. I, I want to understand this for a sec. So you go, you watch uh, Trudeau speak. You say it is like 1930s Germany, which means they're just like very... Well, he. I'm trying to think of the word, but they. they you gotta. But realize they, at, the, at that time, 
Quebec didn't have much representation in the government prior to, to, to Lester Pearson's days. Uh, the, the people from Quebec weren't very vociferous, but they had these guys in Quebec who were revolutionaries, like Trudeau, like Jean Marchand, uh, like Pierre Bouchard, and uh, those people who are who weren't going to sit back and, and let English Canada run French Canada any longer. And so... Uh, uh, Doesn't it feel like Western Canada is getting closer to that? Well, uh, I am <laughs> a great believer in the country of Canada being whole. And I think it should stay that way. But I think that that it should be run on an equitable basis so that it's fair for all the participants in it. You know, it shouldn't, it, 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 you know, the, the Maritimes have the fisheries and the, and the coal mines and the, and Quebec has a whole bunch of industry going, and Ontario has a bunch of industry going, and then there's a, a great big space of nothing, and then they start farming when you get to Manitoba. And uh, so uh, I, I think that, that the, the thing that's a problem is that the people that get elected think they have to look after the people that elected them. So the election's generally over by the time they start to vote in, in Thunder Bay. You know, the election's been decided. And uh, so the people that live east of there pretty much get what they want, and the rest of us uh, have to take a second seat. How about this? I want to. I only got you for a little bit longer. So I know you were the, uh, or maybe you still are, the treasurer of uh, the Royal Canadian Legion here in town for years and years and years. When I came to Lloyd Minster, uh, I, I'd been in the Legion in Manitoba for a substantial number of years. I was in the reserve. Uh, I played in a reserve band. And because of my years in the band, I I became eligible to join the Royal Canadian Legion, which I did. And my dad was a member of the Legion because he was a World War One veteran. And uh, so when I came up here, uh, the Legion Hall was down uh, in the back end of the downtown co-op. And it used to flood. They had a, a real good dance floor in there, and they used to have some real good parties. But the downstairs in that place, if it got any more than two inches of rain, it was it was underwater. So they were wanting to build a new Legion building, and uh, I was here for a couple of years prior to that, and and I wasn't treasurer. 
but I has helped the lady who was because she needed help, so I helped her. And I became vice president of the Legion. And then I became, I've been president of the Legion for six terms. And during that period, uh, it was, I was vice president when they built the present Legion Hall. And, uh, and then in the, in the past year with this COVID thing going on, the Legion got shut down and uh yeah like so many so many businesses uh, yeah. getting shut down yeah what uh like i know now the building's for sale and i know like uh, times are well, not exactly well the, the thing is that they can be for sale forever you know uh but the thing is that the legion has to carry on in the community there has to be a place where where veterans there's still wars going on in the world and they're and there's Canadians participating in it. There has to be a place for veterans to seek help, and and their families to seek help, and so forth. So when we reorganized the Legion back in August, uh, I ran for treasurer again, just because I wanted there to be some stability in the in the financing uh, finances of the Legion because there hadn't been for a few years. And uh, the, the people that were elected to the executive ha had no business acumen, you know. And, and uh, um, if you don't have people who are capable financially, things can get in a heck of a mess in a hurry. And that's what happened. And so we, we started from scratch, and we're doing very well uh, the uh, we're only open there Friday nights and Saturday afternoons, and uh, we're operating it with volunteer help, and we're running uh, what we call a grand draw. We sell a hundred tickets every second week, and for twenty bucks a piece, and we give away a thousand bucks every second week, and people are very interested in supporting that. And, and when the Legion went up for sale, that. There was a lot of businesses in town just sent a check and said, you know, we, we want the Legion to continue to go. And, and so we had, uh, we've had thousands of dollars in, in donations. And, of course, then we got the federal government came out with some COVID relief money to keep operating. And, of course, we don't have any employees, so uh, we did very well on that. Issue and so we're, the the legion's back on solid ground now, and uh, I think if and when this COVID thing ever goes away, that we'll be back operating as usual. I I didn't realize you're you're uh, well. A it's good that the 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 legion is in good hands, and um, you know you can kind of put down some of the, you know, troubling things that people see from afar, but that it sounds uh, that you guys are doing the right things to ensure. And then it's pretty cool that, um, as this community does, it stepped up when you guys uh, were in need. I'm curious, you mentioned your father fought in world war one. Did you ever talk to him about that? Or did he ever talk uh, to you about <laughs> well, that? He was never overseas. He, he was in the Royal Canadian air force and uh, they just didn't participate in World War One because they weren't ready. They were 
you know, they were still trying to learn how to fly uh, in these little things that they had in in 1916 or whenever it was. But but he never got overseas. But he he was always a, a very strong supporter of the Legion. Uh, and the World War One vets were a different breed than the World War Two vets. The World War One vets were were uh, there wasn't the 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 booze flowing that, that over there that there that there was in World War Two. There wasn't the tobacco people weren't involved in things and and my dad was very upset in World War Two with how many guys came home that were that were uh, addicted to tobacco and uh, and drank too much and things of that nature. So I, I remember when we built a new Legion Hall in Verdon, Manitoba, he he said that they'll just be fighting. Those guys from World War II, they'll just be fighting there. That, that's all that'll happen there. And he, he was right when they first came home. That's what it was. It was a... It was a going concerned, but it, it straightened out after a few years. And, it, and the Legion back in Verdon is still a very big part of the community. So in World War One, they didn't have smokes, or there wasn't a push from... There wasn't a push from the tobacco companies that there was in World War Two. They used to get free smokes, eh? World War Two vets got free smokes? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Well, the tobacco companies thought it was a heck of a good deal because when they come back, because, you know, tobacco is one of the most addictive things that there is, so they, they were just lining up a bunch of customers for when the war was over. An awful thing to say, but that's the way it is. Man, I, I just, I, I guess I never really thought about it, but I, I, that is something new that I've never heard before. No, well, that's the truth. Well, I've held you in here for for some time. We've talked about a lot of things. Is yeah. there anything else you want to make sure we talk about before I let you go? No, except, uh, oh, you asked me the most surreal moment? Yeah, most surreal moment in your life? I've had a couple of them. Both my son and my daughter are chartered accountants. And I was able to present them with their certificates that on the same date. They both passed at the same time. And uh, that was pretty surreal because, you know, you only got two kids and they, they, they followed the old man's footsteps. And I never encouraged them, not at all, uh, to, to do that. And <laughs> both of them tried other things, but and then they they came back to the accounting profession. Hmm, that would be uh, an interesting feeling, uh, handing over diplomas to your kids to do exactly what you do. Yeah, it was very interesting. Yeah, and also it was uh, they awarded me with a fellowship with the Institute of Chartered Accountants. Uh, and that was surreal because I didn't think that I deserved it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> the, the, like the very desperate for fellows in Lloyd Minister, I don't know. But anyway, the, I was awarded uh, and 
2006 or something like that. I became a fellow. So, what's uh, what's maybe one truth you've learned through your your years? Well, you can't beat hard work. Hard work will see you through, and uh, uh, anybody that thinks that they're going to get ahead in life without working hard is in for a bit of a disappointment, I think. I've always worked hard, and uh, I was encouraged as a student to work hard. They never paid overtime or anything like that, but as as my the guy that was in charge of teaching me everything that I knew told me, well, the more you do, the more you're going to learn, you know. And uh, it turned out to be right. And, and, of course, I advanced rapidly in that firm because I was dedicated. And also I didn't have any money to do anything <laughs> else. What the hell? You might as well be working, you know. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, when you're making 85 bucks a month, we, we used to play cribbage for matchsticks in the back room at the, the office, but uh, but everybody was in the same boat. But it was fun. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming in and sitting down with me, Jim. It's been uh, it's been an interesting uh, hour and a half uh, of of some of your different thoughts and views on where we've been and and kind of where we're at. Yeah, well, I found it interesting, too. uh, I've been blessed with a good memory of a lot of the things that went on, you know. But but don't ask me about my golf game. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks again. Okay, fine. Thank you. Hey, folks, thanks for tuning in today. Make sure to like and subscribe. Believe me, it helps. I want you fine folks also to do me a favor. Head over to my new website, seannewmanpodcast.com, and let me know what you think. And finally, if you want to support the podcast, check out the Patreon account uh, link in the show notes, and uh, we'll catch up to you next Monday, all right? Till then, go kick some ass.